Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. Well, I think the one thing that I, I really, really wanted to instill into everyone was that you are your own best coach. If you can work it out for yourself, you never forget it. So rather than saying to you, Shane, for God's sake, you should get your grip like such and you should pick up the bat like such, I would try and ask you questions for you to arrive at the answer that I was looking for. Because you knew it, it's just you didn't know you knew it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we're joined by one of the true legends of Australian cricket for so many reasons. This great took 355 test dismissals in his 96 test matches, as well as his 300s to go with it. And with Dennis Lilly, became the world's most successful bowl wicketkeeper partnership ever, with Court Marsh bowl lily occurring a record 95 times. Rod Marsh, it truly is an honour to have you on my show. Thanks, Shane. I was so unbelievably lucky to have um, come through the Australian Cricket Academy in 2000 when Rod was still the head coach. The program that he established in 1991 turned just about everyone who went through the program into a world-class cricketer. Rod had an incredible ability to educate every scholarship holder in every facet of the game, from the technical, physical, and mental aspects, as well as digging deeper into the history of cricket. So we truly are in for a real treat here on Lessons Learned with the Greats today. Rod, you achieved so many incredible things on the career field. So looking back now, is there one or two highlights of your career that really stands out to you? Look, I think the biggest highlight was just Actually playing, uh, playing firstly for Western Australia and then uh, for Australia because, uh, I mean, I think that's what you dream of when you're a kid. If you like uh, a sport, then you want to reach the highest level. Uh, but to do that, you know, you had to go through your club side and then your state side and then obviously uh, the pinnacle was uh, the Australian team. And I think, you know, too many people even forget about their club sides these mm. days because that's where it all started. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit difficult in Perth because it was uh, wherever you lived, you had to play. So if you moved house, you had to move club, which became a uh, quite difficult thing <laughs> to do, really, because you'd leave one set of mates behind and pick up a new set. And then, and we moved house quite frequently. So I played for a lot of clubs. Uh, but, uh, the one thing that I was taught at a very uh, young age was that uh, you, you must always respect uh, those clubs and uh, go to the clubs whenever you possibly can because they were the, they were the people that gave you the start. Yeah, it's very true. That's the one thing now because of the 
I suppose the amount of cricket that's on the priorities that are around a lot of a lot of the Aussie players, especially, um, don't really get much opportunity to be able to play in club cricket. And as you said, that's where everything starts. If it wasn't for club cricket, no, we get the opportunity to move up the ranks. Exactly, and and it is tough. There's no doubt about that. But uh, you know, if you make the effort, uh, even if you don't go that. that back there and actually play. If you go back there and uh, watch them for half an hour, they'll appreciate that. The, the young kids coming through, if they see a, an Australian test player watching them play, it's a big deal. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think if you can make the, the time and, and, and you've got the effort to go back, um, you'll be rich, richly rewarded somewhere down the track. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, for sure. Look, you played in an incredible era of Australian cricket when, and things evolved as well. If it wasn't for um, your stance um, going into World, World Series cricket as well, things wouldn't be where they are um, nowadays as well um, with cricket. So in and around the World Series days, was there one time that really does stand out in your mind that, um, that cemented your spot in, in your mind of the highlight, whether it's on the field or off the field? Well, I think uh, the night that um, we played at the Sydney Cricket Ground after playing uh, at the showgrounds in Sydney, we had that. that, And that was good fun in itself because I've never, I think, ever seen a harder, faster pitch than the showground, which really didn't necessarily suit us. It probably suited (laughs) the West Indies a bit more and blokes were getting their heads knocked off basically. But it was good fun, I can tell you. The ball carried. Uh, a long, long way. Um, but the funny part about it was that, you know, we never really thought we'd get back to uh, the main grounds, but somehow I think Kerry Packer uh, organised with the New South Wales government that we should be allowed to play on the Sydney Cricket Ground and uh, they threw the gates open that night. And it was just, it was unbelievable. We knew right then and there that, you know, we had actually had a victory. And uh, I think that was probably the biggest night of of my cricket life in a way. Yeah. And when when you talk about night games, uh, yeah. it was it was unbelievable. Because that was the when the gates were opened up by Kerry, and it was just the it was <laughs> people were hanging by the rafters. They were everywhere, weren't they? Oh yeah, they just flooded in, and <laughs> uh, I think. You know, I think Kerry also opened up the members to the public, which is you know only he could do. God yeah. bless him; he's yeah. a he's a ripper. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, it was a really really big night, and uh, I think everyone that um, all the players from the other teams that were actually at the ground that night, and there were quite a few of them. I mean, I saw a few of them in tears uh, <laughs> when they walked into our dressing room because they realised all the all the stuff they'd done, uh, all the sacrifices they'd made to play. Uh, were all coming to fruition and it was all worthwhile and there was going to be change. There was no doubt about that because they had to listen. Mm. Uh, while, I had, while we had no crowds, uh, you could see that the cricket administrators thought, well, this is not going to last. Well, they didn't realise how deep uh, Kerry's bank balance went, I don't think, <laughs> because he was determined to make it happen and mm. uh, if Kerry was determined to do something, then... Uh, 99 times out of 100, it happened. Um, after your playing days, you have turned all of your playing experiences to build the most successful development program that the world has ever seen. So I'd, I really, I'm excited about getting into these topics that you know incredibly well. So um, 
I'm going to start with the technical side of cricket. And Rod, you're the first week keeper that I've been um, that I've had on lessons learned with the greats. So, from a keeping perspective, was there one or two specific technical components that you developed, and once you nailed it, you knew you're going to be consistently at your best? Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, but it, it all gets back to common sense, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, I looked at uh, a lot of wicket keepers and I looked at what they did. Uh, I looked at how they operated. I talked to a lot of people about wicket keeping. Um, I mean, John Inverity wasn't a wicket keeper, but I talked about wicket keeping to him a lot. And, you know, I figured out that there were, there were things that made you into a good keeper. And, you know, obviously the basics, uh, I lived by the basics and, and to me the basics for, for wicket-keeping were very simple. It starts with your feet, um, it goes to your head and then finally it's your hands, which maybe doesn't make sense to you if you're not a wicket-keeper. But, I mean, your feet take you to the ball. And this is talking, I'm talking about standing back to a yep. fast bowler now. Your feet take you to the ball. And if you can get to the ball... Uh, properly and, and more easily than another weird keeper, then you know, it stands to reason that you're probably going to cover more ground. So the one thing that that's a bit like you know, my putting at the moment where I keep telling myself <laughs> that I've got to keep my head still, I could keep my head still when I was bloody wicket keeping, but I can't keep it still when I'm putting. What's wrong with it? Ridiculous. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, when you're moving, what tends to happen uh, when you're moving uh, laterally, uh, you tend to bob your head up and down. Well, I tried to keep my head as still as I possibly could. And by doing that, if your head's still, your eyes are still. And if your eyes are still, then you get a much better view of the ball. And let's face it, that's what you're trying to grab hold of, the ball. So keep your head steady and still. And thirdly, your hands. And the hands, they're obviously very, very important. Um, but um, my theory was that uh, your hands have got to give and the easiest way for them to give is at the best is to get your body out of the way. So I always tried to take the ball on the inside of my body, which gave my uh, arms room to swing, which meant they were giving more, my hands were giving more. And... You know, it sounds very complicated while well, I'm talking to you like this, but no, it to doesn't. actually do it. <laughs> no, you're breaking <laughs> well, it down very simply. Yeah. Uh, well, to do it, you, you must practice it. That's the mm. whole thing. And and I set up a routine that no matter what, I would always do before I kept wickets. So every day that you know, I thought we were going to be in the field, and, you know, that's probably almost every day that you go mm. to the ground. Yeah. I practiced this routine and it was a very simple strategy and those are the only three things I thought of. But the funny part about it was that I wouldn't ever stop doing it unless we got called to go on the field until I was catching it perfectly. And that was my whole aim, to catch it perfectly in my pre-match routine. Now, it might only take half a dozen balls or five minutes or three minutes. It might take half an hour. But as soon as I was catching it perfectly, I took the gloves off and then went and did something else. And it might be catching still, but it might be reflex catching. It might be, but it was, I would never, ever over, uh, over drill because I reckon the longer you stick at something like that, 
the more chance mentally that you start not concentrating and the minute you start not concentrating, then you create bad habits. Mm. And uh, I thought, well, you know, just create the good habit in your routine and then stop it and go and do something else. And apart from anything else, the good part about that was that you, you, you remained refreshed and you were never bored because you go and you work out. I had different blokes I used to catch with and we'd work out games. We'd, work, we'd play test matches before, before a test match. Like if you drop five, you lost the test, you know, if, or if you're the first one to catch five, won the, won the test. Or I can't even remember how they went, but yep. they were silly little games that incorporated uh, a ball basically and you do all sorts of things with it to, to have a catch and it was good fun. And yep. to me, that's what the game's about, having fun and not getting bored because, uh, you know, you, you're at the ground for a long time, uh, perhaps not as long as they are these days, but <laughs> you are at the, you know, you get there an hour before, an hour, an hour time and, uh, you know, you, well, we used to probably stay a bit longer because we'd have a beer afterwards or six, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. And we'd probably get home later, but we we'd certainly wouldn't go to the ground as early. So, mm. But it's, it, it's a long day, a day of test cricket, and you've got to have fun. Otherwise, I don't know why you'd play it, really. Yeah, exactly. Well, you said they're a brand keeping your head still. Um, a lot of people don't realise how important that is, um, whether that's as a keeper, whether that's actually in the field as well. When you're running after oh, a ball, yeah. it's trying to keep your head and ice as still as they can so you've got the best perspective on the ball. Absolutely. And that applies to every sport too, I reckon. Yep. You know, I mean, there's so many guys. You see, you know, guys in Australian rules football, which is another love of mine, but you see the the, the guys that mark really well, most times their head is very, mm. very still. And uh, it's something that comes naturally to a lot of people, uh, but to a lot of other people it doesn't come that naturally and they wonder why they don't catch the ball well or they wonder why they don't mark the ball well and a lot of it's got to do with their head and same with golf, as I mentioned before. My God, you know, putting, it's just, it's all about keeping your head still. What were your technical um, cues that you, and keys that you worked on when standing up up to the stumps? Because up to the stumps is a, you know, is a slightly different technique as well, in a way. Yes, it is. And, I mean, the, the, the thing that I, I probably tried to do, and it wasn't really until I went to Pakistan, which was towards the end of my career, because mm-hmm. let's face it, at the Wacker, where I was brought up, um, you know, you didn't have to worry about two bad bounces, but the ball would always, wherever it pitched, it was on its way up, you know. Mm. It never stayed down at the Wacker in the old days. Mm. It was a beautiful bouncer on that pitch. And, and in fact, most places in Australia, the ball bounced. So, uh, but when, when you go to a place like Pakistan, um, you know, occasionally the ball, because the, the pitches roughed up a lot more, they hit somewhere on the pitch that wasn't even. It could go anywhere. And it was very, very important for me to try and stay down. In other words, I'd keep my head and my body down until such time as the ball pitched. And when the ball pitched, I'd come up with the ball. If the ball ran along the ground, then theoretically uh, it wouldn't go between your legs because your gloves would still be on the ground and your backside would still be down. And so you'd take the ball. Uh, and the later that I found you came up, you know, and how do you judge have you come up before the ball pitched? But that was what I had in my mind. That's mm. what I was thinking. I mean, you obviously watch the ball, 
wait till it pitches and then come up. And the later you seem to come up, uh, the better you seem to glove the ball. And that's what I worked on and practised uh, hard on over there. I get people to throw into rough areas in the in a uh, practice situation. And, yeah, sure, you wear a couple every now and then. If they bounce higher than you thought they would, but, you know, that was all part of it. Um, and, look, moving down leg side, I know heels uh, always like to move late. I always like to move early as I could okay. because I reckon if I if I could catch a, a glimpse of the view, a ball down leg side, then I was better off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but heels, I never ever tried what heels, well, I was finished by the time heels started <laughs> anyway, but yeah. um, I never ever thought about going later and yet a lot of wicket keepers do think about going later uh, keeping the ball in view until it has gone down leg side and then going over. But I, I never ever thought that way. Yeah, look, it's 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 routine. I mean, you, you've got to keep on. If you do it every day, it it becomes second nature to you. And the thing about it is that you know, you, you start really taking some real pride in, in, in gloving the ball well and it's it's almost a contest between you and yourself to see how quickly uh, you can you can glove the ball perfectly so you can get on to do something else yeah. and uh, you know you feel pretty proud of yourself if you if it only takes you five minutes to prepare mm. you think well god that was a good day you know um, and you might go and get an extra cup of tea before you go out you know it's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or an extra sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And what you're saying about there staying down, that's also a key in slips fielding as well. Um, I know from from my perspective, when I felt like I was coming up too early, if the ball stayed down, then you you no chance. You had to go back down to the ball. So obviously yeah. for all the wicket keepers out there, absolutely, that's in, uh, you know vital key. But also for um, for people in the slips as well to be able to stay down. And then also you know, in around close to the bat, whether it's bat pad or um, – you know, in close on the offside, it is staying down as long as you can. So then you're only really you're only coming up with the ball, not having to go back yeah. down again if it stays low. Much, much easier to come up than mm. come up yeah. and then go back down. It's almost yeah. impossible. Mm. And you know that keeping your head still. Uh, I still haven't quite worked out how those at bat pad keep their head still when someone's. <laughs> <laughs> trying to hit it over cow corner. Oh, yeah, man, no, oh, man. I wouldn't be keeping my head still there. I could tell no, you. No, me either. <laughs> Diving out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Rod, from a, from a batting point of view, was there one specific technical component that, um, that really stands out to you that you developed? And again, you knew from that moment on that you're, if you brought that technical component, you're going to uh, give yourself the best chance of having a great day. No, I was I was very bad. Uh, whereas I could think that clearly when it came to keeping, um, mm-hmm. I used to get totally totally confused when it came to batting. I think I think batting is a much more difficult thing to do, from my perspective anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at you know, I mean, I stood behind some of the great players the world's ever seen, and I look at them and I think, how the hell did they do that? I mean, it just you know, it's it, but it is simple. I mean, I found it easier to coach batting than to actually bat. Okay. Uh, because once again, you know, you keep your head still. Uh, you tell someone to keep their head still. That's not a very, very difficult thing to do, I wouldn't have mm. thought. Mm. Um, you know, you you get in line with the ball. You never back away. You know, all that sort of stuff that we all 
know about about the game and it's if your head's in line with the ball, you've got more chance of hitting it. You know I mean? It just mm. makes sense, all that sort of stuff. But to actually do it and to have all these moving parts uh, aligned properly, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I ever hit a proper cover drive in my life. Uh, and, you know, I, I watch blokes stand there and le- a lot of left-handers too. Mm. They played beautifully through the offside. Well, I, I mean, I... My grip was wrong. I used to choke the bat and everything that I tried to hit through cover went to mid-wicket. And, you know, but in the end, I suppose all that matters is it's, it's not how, it's how many, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. And, you know, I, I found it, like, really simple to coach uh, the bowlers, for example. Um, now, if you're a bowler, out-and-out bowler, I mean, it's so important that you can get some runs. So, you know, mm. to me, the bowlers, all they had to work on really was keeping the good one out and to find a couple of scoring shots. Now, the two easiest scoring shots, I reckon, are the cut shot mm-hmm. and hitting one off the pads. Yeah. Now, it can't be too hard <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I used to get the bowlers to practice those two shots and mm. practice and practice and practice them until they become pretty good cutters and pretty handy at just getting the ball off their pads to get off strike. And you think about this. If you're a fast bowler, uh, the other fast bowlers are going to come in and, and bowl short to you. They're not mm. going to bowl half volleys most of the time. So they're going to bowl short to you and then perhaps try and toss one up to bowl you out. But... I defy any fast bowler to keep on bowling short and not drop one outside off stump. So there's four runs for you if you, if mm. you can cut. Mm. And, you know, if you practice that really hard, uh, and that's about the only time I reckon a bowling machine really comes into real good use is, is to, for when it comes in short and you can just continuously play that cut shot or pull shot or hook shot. And, I mean, that to me is is when the bowling machine just saves it, whoever's throwing, saves his arm a bit. So to me, I I really think that that's a, uh, if you can cut and you can play off your pads, you can get runs for your team or at least you can hang in there if you can keep the good ones out. Yeah, and it's integral for everyone to realise that even if you are just a um, a frontline bowler, how important it is to to be able to score runs um, because everyone is an all rounder. Everyone does bat, um, especially. Right. Yeah. So you need to be able to make sure that you do work on specific things to be as effective as you can. And that yeah. um, advice, there, Rod, is absolutely spot on. Keep the good ones out, yeah. and then have a couple of scoring options that you that you know if it's in your zone, you can actually you know make a big difference for your team. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of it runs right from the start. If you're you're a kid, an eight year old kid, and you're a bowler, you don't get much of a hit, do you? Yeah, in fact, you hardly ever get a hit. Mm. And then you go into under twelves, and oh, you open the bowling. Well, you know, you bat number eleven, so you might get a hit again. Mm. And training, no, no, we've got to give the batsman the most time. The batsman can bat. You know, mm. the people that should get the most time are the bowlers. <laughs> Because they can't buddy it. back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that to me is common sense. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, I coached a bit in India and let me tell you, the poor old bowlers never got a look at getting a bat over there. The batsman just batted the whole net session, which, I mean, obviously I changed that very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because 
I mean, and they'd sit around and wait for their turn to bat, and that's all they do. They'd never bowl or chase the ball, and, you know, for the bowlers. They had people doing that, which, uh, you know, you just – you had to oh, – it's not the way to play cricket. I mean, it's all in. Everyone's yep. got to help everyone else out, and if you want to be a good cricket team, I reckon. Absolutely. It's amazing how – it is the opposite, really, what you said there. Um, you know, bat- bowlers who are frontline bowlers don't really get much of opportunity to bat as a young kid, and then it just continues that way all the way through, even up until you're playing <laughs> club <laughs> cricket, domestic cricket, all that sort of thing. A lot of the time, um, you know, the bowlers are just an after- afterthought. But the ones who do actually go out of their way to be able to continue to knock down the door to be able to bat, whether that's on the bowling machine, whether that's you know, in the nets, even to some just net bowlers, it, it makes a huge difference to their batting and they actually become a vital part even more so, you know, of the, of the team they're playing in, not just their, you know, the balls that they bowl. Jason Gillespie. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfect, you know, and mm. his last innings in test cricket was a double hundred. Mm. That's yeah, a dream to made I mean, off. Double hundred in is. test match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and that's only because he took his batting seriously. Mm. Um, he, he wanted to bat at every possible opportunity and as a result, you know, they found it very difficult to get him out. He batted mm. for a day and a half or something, I think, didn't he, for 200? Yeah. Yep. Terrific. Yeah. Yep. yep, absolutely. Your generation of cricketers were very creed-specific in your fitness regime. So from a fitness perspective, from what you know now, would you have done anything differently during your playing days? Oh, I think society would have probably uh, governed that, yeah, I probably would have had to do something differently. Otherwise, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have got a game because, uh, you know, that there are fitness protocols that everyone's got to sort of reach now and uh, there are targets you've, uh, that they set for you and you've got to be able to do this, that, and the other. And we, we, look, we had a bit of that, but, uh, I mean, you could always find your way around it if you, if you had a, a bit of ingenuity about you, you know. You could, yeah. Um, I mean, I was never big on the 15-minute run, you know, having to run. Blokes are running four kilometres in 15 minutes. Well, I, I struggled to drive that fast, you know. I mean, I, there's no way knowing I, I could have ever run four kilometres in 15 minutes. I mean, the legs are about six inches long and about six inches wide, and they, but they've done a good job for me over the mm. years. Mm. But I just wasn't a runner. I wasn't a runner and I wasn't a swimmer. So... Uh, you know, I had to rely on on doing other things uh, for fitness, and all I didn't mind short work. I mean, I could sprint with the best of them for over short distances, but mm. um, you know, as far as long distance running, I thought that was a waste of time for me. Do you think things have moved too far the other way in cricket nowadays, with the obsession around everyone being super fit, and a lot of the time it's not that cricket specific at times now. Um, do you think it's moved a bit too far or do you think they're getting the balance, you know, fairly right? Well, you know, it, I think it varies. I, I, I think some, uh, some, some programs, you know, I look at them and I think, well, why wouldn't they be spending more time on their schoolwork than uh, their fitness work? But then I suppose, you know, that, that you, you could say that, well, the fitter they are, the more time they could spend on their skills. Mm. Uh, 
But then, you know, you think, well, how much time do you need to spend on your skills if you can get them right in the first place <laughs> and just right. own them? <laughs> so, 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 so it becomes a bit of a merry-go-round and I don't think yeah. there is an answer to uh, to that necessarily. I, I think, mm. you know, I, I've always been a great believer in trying to use common sense mm. and if, you know, if you see some people need it a lot more work than other people need. Mm. Um, you know, a bloke like Ricky Ponting, for example, what sort of fitness work did he need? Well, as far as I'm concerned, he'd chase the ball all day. Um, and if you gave him uh, an hour fielding practice, he wouldn't need anything else because he threw himself into that fielding practice so hard that surely the goodness he was going to be fit and cricket specific fit. Um, he might have a bit of skin missing off his. Uh, Knees and, and and elbows, but he'd be he'd be fit as a manly bull to go out and play Test cricket, uh, and you know that's the sort of thing that I, you know, I always preferred training with a ball. Put it that way. Yep, it's, it's more fun as well, and it's developing oh. your create specific skills that what you need in the heat of the battle as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I mean, the other thing is to perform uh, your skills under duress is always a bit more difficult. Mm. So if you get um, someone flogging you fielding-wise, um, you can know, you can see the, how the fielding drops off as the more tired the player gets. But the longer it stays good, uh, to me, the, the more uh, cricket-specific fit you've become. Mm. Uh, so and that, to me, is common sense, and, and that's the way I look, like to approach things, put it that way. Yeah, the thing with common sense is not that common, so it's, it's a great perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, from a fitness perspective when you were running the Cricket Academy, what was your philosophies around the importance of physical fitness? Because I, yeah, ex- ex- experienced that um, firsthand. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was, it was character building. That's you know, <laughs> yeah. part of it was certainly character building because, mm. I mean, you could tell um, – you could tell the blokes that wanted to take the shortcuts. And, look, I would have been one of those guys myself. So, uh, you know, I knew exactly what they were doing and I knew how they were taking the shortcuts. But yeah. I didn't mind if, you know, they – to me that showed intelligence in some areas. <laughs> and, you know, if you could think you were at least fooling the coach, then good on you, uh, provided that when it – match day came around, you never, ever took the shortcut. And, you know, and I suppose the answer to that could be, well, if you're going to take the shortcut of training, then you're going to definitely take it in a match. Well, I disagree with that altogether because, you know, a match to a lot of people, those that have got the real competitive juices is all that counts. Training doesn't really count. It's the competition that counts. And... You know, if you could take the shortcut of training and get away with it, provided you didn't take it during a match and provided you gave 100% and you helped your teammates and you did all those things, then you could make it right to the top. And so I never, ever bothered too much about people taking shortcuts, although um, it was pretty hard to take a shortcut on the Versa Climber at Crouchy's gym, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no shortcuts there. <laughs> Maybe in a couple other sessions, but not not Crouchy's Versa Climber session. No way. There's no yeah. hiding for anyone. 
<laughs> and that and that that wasn't so much a fitness thing. That was a character building yeah. thing because you know to see blokes go that hard that you know they they would fall off this machine. And I suppose you should explain what a versa climber is. But yeah. So for everyone yeah. who doesn't know what a versa climber is, it's a it's a machine where you sort of you what is it? your hands, your hands and your feet are sort of locked in. It's like you're on a wall really. And you just go up and down um, with your, with your legs and your hands. And there's, there's no, there's no shortcuts there at all. Um, maybe <laughs> if you take like shorter sort of like steps and short, um, shorter parts with the arms, but mm, yeah, it's even. But if you've got to cover kills. a certain, if you've got to cover a certain distance in a certain <laughs> time, you're better off taking the long steps. Yep. <laughs> That's right. I still look at them now and just go, oh, geez, I had some good times on that, but oof, there's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of pain involved. <laughs> As the head of the Cricket Academy, from a coaching perspective, was there one major situation that really stands out in your mind that you really learned from where you didn't get the desired effect that you were looking for? Oh, look, I think, I think I got to learn a lot about um, cricket administration. During that time, and you know, having to deal with um, the Australian Cricket Board as it was then, uh, having to deal with the Australian government through Canberra and the yes. uh, the Institute of Sport, and then having to deal with the Commonwealth Bank, uh, who were the major sponsor. Mm. Um, it was a pretty tough time because. I mean, I didn't want to have to go to Canberra to talk to anyone. I didn't have to really want to go to the bank to talk to anyone and I didn't really want to have to go to Melbourne to talk to you know, the Australian Cricket Board. But it was essential at times that I did do this because, I mean, they were the people that were keeping the thing going. And, uh, you know, I realised once I got into it and understood uh, what it was all about, uh, I realise that this is going to be good for Australian cricket, but there came a time when I thought, well, I mean, I'm not sure how much more I can take of this because, you know, when you've got three people you're reporting to all the time, it just it seemed it seemed unwieldy. Uh, it seemed that there should have been someone else chasing the money to keep the program going. Mm. I was a bloody cricket coach, you know. Mm. And I didn't necessarily want to have to deal with any of these other people. I'd much prefer to deal with uh, the athletes and uh, and set up decent, you know, matches and have the money to do that. That was the other thing. I mean, some of the places we stayed in, as, as you guys stayed in, they were horrendous uh, compared with uh, what happens now. And it was all a matter of finance. So we didn't have much money to play with. And of course, uh, when, I, uh, when I left... Um, Adelaide and, and went to uh, England with the uh, English Cricket Academy over there. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. I had one person to report to and basically as much money as I wanted to spend provided I could give him a good enough reason. And uh, I used to take him out for a pint of Guinness and uh, I'd talk to him and he'd say, well, look, if you want something, put it in writing. So I put it in writing and I'd get it. And I thought, well, how good is this? And it was. It was exceptionally good uh, and very good management and, above all, good management of me because I think I'd probably expressed all those things um, before I left, you know, what, why I would leave 
um, after 11 years. Uh, and one of them was the fact that I, I didn't want to be reporting to three people or three different organisations. It just it did, didn't seem right. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. No, that's fascinating to hear because it's like being there for the for the year that I was. I had no no idea that that was you know part. Of yeah, a, part, a big part, part of, of the what, job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, we just yeah. saw you at, um, you know, training and, and working us and, and getting the best out of us and educating us um, on everything around cricket. So um, that's So yeah, when that's I was cranky, when I was cranky, you know why? <laughs> yeah, I do now. Had nothing to do with, <laughs> nothing to do with you blokes going out drinking all night <laughs> and things like oh, that. that wasn't no. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and just going back to how setting up the Cricket Academy, because it was it – was, quite bare bones in a way it wasn't like you were flush with staff or anything like there is it is nowadays but my gosh what the program that you built was so incredibly effective as i mentioned at the start it was just a a factory of world-class cricketers were produced out of going to this cricket academy how were you able to do that on obviously on and pretty much a shoestring sort of budget yeah well the thing the thing that I couldn't believe when I when I went there in the first place or came to Adelaide in the first place was the fact that the the guy stayed here for twelve months a year. Mm. So you have a young player like you, you're out of Queensland, mm. you come down and you spend the twelve months there. And if you were good enough to play shoe cricket, you'd have to play for South Australia. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Now, how ridiculous <laughs> is that? I mean, mm. that is just. That to me was a recipe for disaster mm. because, you know, if I'm, well, I'm from Western Australia. If, if if I'm sending someone over to Adelaide to go to the academy and he's got to play for South Australia, as a few of them did, mm. you know, Michael Bevan, um, Chuck Berry, and who was the other, the other big bloke? Uh, it was a big fast bowler from about Alley. Uh, oh yeah, Phil Alley. Phil yeah. Alley, yeah. Yep. You know, those three blokes played for South Australia, the three that I know of, and I thought, my God, what's going on here? Anyway, that was the first thing I changed when I when I got to Adelaide. I said, right, that's not going to happen. Um, they're going to go back home and play their cricket, you know, their cricket season during the cricket season at home. We keep them until basically Christmas. Mm. And if they could get home to play club cricket, uh, if the clubs wanted them home and they could, you know, we didn't pay for them to go home, but if, they could get home and they could, they're quite willing to go home every weekend and play club cricket, which quite a few of them did. Mm. And I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the next thing that came to mind was that the more cricket they play, the better they'll become at, guess what, cricket. <laughs> so I tried to get a program that uh, meant that they would play against people better than themselves if possible. So if we could get a game against the touring side, for example, that was gold. If we could get a game against the state side, that was damn near gold. But if we played against second 11 sides, it was, you know, that was silver. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of the second 11 sides, were they would use that game against us. We'd get to play against quite a few first-class players. And it was all a learning process. I mean, no point going out and playing against teams that you're going to thrash every week. You've got to try and set your sights higher and try and get the best opposition because they will bring you up to their standard 
just as uh, if you're playing against a weak side, they'll take you down to their standard. And that was the whole theory behind it, to play cricket, um, play as much cricket as humanly possible uh, and learn from your mistakes. And that's that's often the best way. Now that you say that around the um, the second eleven. Um, competition because I remember being at the academy and we did go into playing that second eleven competition and in the end I only only played was only for three months at the start of the start of the summer but my cricket from training for those um, you know four and a half months at the academy to then going and playing those second eleven games my cricket went through the roof that was it went yeah. from a level that was okay or decent to then playing against some of the best cricketers in Australia. Like we played, well, New South Wales only for, we got the whole game just about got washed out at Bradman, Bradman Oval in Barrel. But even the first session, it was like, there was a lot of first class cricketers playing in that New South Wales team and some Australian players as well. So to have that chance, I, yeah, see, I'd, I suppose I just took it for granted. I didn't realize that that was a method in your madness because you're absolutely right. Unless you're, unless you're playing against people who are better than you, you're not really testing yourself. No, and not. that made a massive difference. So I went from being coming out of the cricket academy to go, well, I'm not ready for first class cricket. Playing three months of uh, second level cricket to go, you know what? I'm just about ready to go. Jimmy Marr, for example, Queenslander. Mm. Jimmy, uh, when Jimmy went back uh, just before Christmas, he'd made like 1,200 runs in matches that summer. So he he was ready to play, and he played. I mean, he, he'd made that many runs that he just thought this was this is what you're supposed to do, make runs. And that is what you're supposed to do as a batsman. And and he, you know, he really flourished during that period. The other thing that I tried to do uh, was to get people uh, of my ilk, people that knew what they were talking about, uh, in to the academy uh, to spend a week with the boys and to talk to them, uh, to watch them train uh, and, you know, just to be around the place for a week. And I, I to me that was, uh, you know, it was good company for me as well, I might add, because uh, you probably didn't realise what we were doing at night time. No, but, <laughs> I no. realise now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we would, we would never miss a session and we'd be there. Don't worry about that. We yeah. had to be. But it was good. Uh, it was good to have them around and get them to talk of their experiences and to you know, hopefully uh, look at any technical uh, flaws that you might have had in your game. And, I mean, I, I still to this day remember watching Dennis Lilly talk to the fast bowlers and, I mean, to me what he – he he could actually pick out a fault that I couldn't pick out on video. He could pick it out in real life. You know, I mean, the bloke could come in and bowl, he'd say, no, you've got to get your left arm into this position. And I think, God, I thought he had it in that position. But then you you see it come back on video and you think, oh, no, he didn't. But, it, I mean, I reckon I listened to him talk about fast bowling every single day we had him and he was there for 11 years, so I had 11 weeks of listening to him talk about fast bowling and you know what? I still know nothing about fast bowling. <laughs> I tried my hardest to learn but I couldn't because it just confused the hell out of me. And yeah. that's a that was a beauty of um, of that time of the Career Academy as well. Like Dennis Lilly was there, which was incredible. As you said, like his coaching ability is just 
was the world's best fast bowling coach ever. His eye that he had yeah. even without the video was just phenomenal. The little things that he could pick up. John Inverarity with his Inverdrills that had such a huge impact on everyone who went through. Um, Ian Chappell with the short ball. Gosh, everyone was – well, after we got through that week of Ian Chappell <laughs> <laughs> working on the short ball, if we got through and survived, it was an amazing week because you learned how to you know, have the, um, develop the right technique to play the short ball. Um, even though during that week you got absolutely peppered from every which way, <laughs> which way possible. But then also, you know, Ashley Mallet for the off spinners. You had Terry Jenner for the for the leg spinners as well. So it was just a, you know, the the great coaches of world cricket who all came in to be able to have their influence um, on on the young generation. Yeah, and that, look, I'm sure that's part of the or a major part of the reason why it was so successful. I mean, when you when you get some of the best coaches. Uh, the world's ever seen, uh, helping out, and then you get to play cricket, mm. uh, train hard for the first three months or whatever it was, play cricket uh, for the next three months and have all these coaches around you in that first three months. I mean, if you didn't improve, uh, then you're a slow learner basically. The other thing that you touched on there and how important it is to be able to play games, play matches because that's the best way to learn. Instead oh, of being in the nets absolutely. and just going, oh, I'm just going to spend time in the nets and work on that, the the critical time where you really learn is in the game. So everyone's got to fully get that in their head that that's the best way to learn. So play as many games as you possibly can because that's where you're going to learn. Absolutely. And, you know, there's no substitute for that. I mean, you can spend as much time as you want in the nets. And, uh, you know, some people, well, and in fact, I've seen it happen. Uh, some people actually enjoy training more than they enjoy mm. playing. And I think to myself, what the hell? I mean, why would you ever enjoy training more than playing? That's what that's what you train for, to play. Pressure's off in training. I mean, Pressure's off in training. Compared <laughs> to sometimes it's the furnace that you, that you walk into playing, but isn't that what gets you, your competitive well, juices flowing? Exactly right. And that's why that every game that you play, you've got to treat as real competition. Mm. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why we perhaps had it over the England side for such a long time was the fact that they play that much cricket that if they fail uh, on Friday, uh, they'll probably get another hit on Sunday. Mm. And if they fail on Sunday, they'll get another hit on Tuesday. Whereas, you know, in Australia, we're brought up in a club cricket system. You mightn't get a hit for four or five weeks. And if you fail, then, uh, you, you know, you're going to miss out. So you, you don't fail. You, you try and hog the crease as much as you can and, and bat all afternoon if you can. And that's, that's I think, one of the reasons why our system is, is so good. Um, you always instilled a mental toughness in everyone you coach. Uh, so from a mental skills playing perspective, were you always built a certain way or did you develop certain mental skills that you use to give yourself the best chance of being at your best? Well, I think the routine business I talked about, uh, I think that was a mental skill in a lot mm. of ways of being able to uh, get my mind right um, to keep wickets. I didn't didn't ever get it right to to bat. I mean, I just, I mean, I was all over the place. And I mean, to this day, I can still remember walking off the MCG after getting out first or second ball, and wondering what happened there because I don't remember walking out. And I think, well, 
what sort of a zone was I in there? And I know exactly what a result of. You're sitting in the dressing room. We're four for 350. Uh, Greg Chappell's 180, not out or whatever. Uh, And you're thinking, uh, this is a cosy day. And you're cracking jokes and we're carrying on about this, that and the other. And then all of a sudden, Greg nicks one and he's walking off. And then you're out in the middle and you're walking back before you've even realised what's happened. I mean, you're sitting in the air-conditioned comfort in that viewing area at the MCG. It's just, you think, how, how stupid could you be not preparing yourself better when you know you're next in? But, you know, I mean, I just got sucked into all the banter that was going on and you, it's so easy to do. Mm. So, I mean, mental preparation, uh, when, you, when you look at things that have happened like that, you think, oh, my God, how stupid was I? Uh, and, and there must be a better way of doing things. And, and I'm sure people do prepare themselves a lot better now than I certainly did before I batted. But then again, there'd be others that don't, I, I still mm-hmm. imagine. And, it, it, and it is the reason that you fail quite often because you're not mentally prepared at all. It's got nothing to do with technique. It's just the way you, your head is at the moment, at, at the time, sorry, that you walk out. I know you're, you're talking down your batting. You had, a, you had a, a lot of good days as well. What, your best day of cricket, what, from a batting perspective, what, in your mind, what did that exactly look like, technically and mentally? Look, I think sometimes when you get your feet moving right and you think, oh, my God, and, and you make good decisions, mm. you know what to leave and you know what to hit, you know what to go after. Uh, I didn't really have any trouble finding gaps. That's one thing. That, you know, I didn't hit a lot of shots that I thought deserved four but went straight to a field. Mm. Um, most times when I hit it in the middle, it went for four. Uh, or maybe a couple more if you've got a good one. <laughs> uh, I hit far too many in the air, there's no doubt about that. But then again, that's the way I like to play the game. Mm. I mean, I like to take it on, particularly spinners. Mm. Um, but, you know, I don't think I there was anything specific uh, about it, how it happened. Um, you know, some days I could concentrate really well and mm. other days I just, my mind was all over the place and, you know, I got ahead of myself and I got a lot of 28s, you know. I'd, okay. I'd be, yeah, and I'd think if I can get past 28, I could, <laughs> but I always get out for 28. Oh, I'm out. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened. 28 was yeah. a bad number for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I really can't put my finger on why I batted well when I did that well. Mm. Um, but I, I think I found it easier to put my finger on why I didn't bat well uh, yeah. when I didn't bat well, which is a lot of the time when I felt as though, God, I, I, I'd let one go there. I should have got a lot more than I did. Mm. A lot of time too, you know, we'd be set second innings targets and uh, you'd be the bloke in there and it would be your job to – try and push it along and, you know, try and score it 10 runs a ball as we often did, you know. Mm. You try and belt the cover off everything uh, and set a target. So you get used to get out a lot 
in second innings when you shouldn't have and you should have mm. got a nice little 35 not out instead of out for 28, you know. Yeah, but that's not, that's not fun. <laughs> you want to be able to take no. the game on. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> and exactly. I mean, it is. It's a lot, a lot to do with enjoyment as well, mm. not averages. Yep, exactly. Yeah. From a coaching side of things, what, what were the mental skills, philosophies that you instilled in every individual that went through your program? Well, I think the one thing that I, I really, really wanted to instill into everyone was that you are your own best coach. If you can work it out for yourself, you never forget it. So rather than saying to you, Shane, for God's sake, you should get your grip like such and you should pick up the bat like such, I would try and ask you questions for you to arrive at the answer that I was looking for. So I, because you knew it, it's just that you didn't know you knew it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you so. arrived at that answer, then you would never, ever forget what you just learned and you taught yourself because you mm. arrived at the answer. And I just, I, I tried to keep asking questions and saying, this is what you've got to do. Because so many people say, this is how you play a forward defence or this is how you play the hook shot. Now, if I ask you to play the hook shot, what are you, what are you looking at? Where are you trying to hit the ball from? Where are you trying to hit it to? Mm. Tell me how you're going about it. What, what What is it? Where do you want to see the ball finish up? You know, all those sorts mm. of things. And then, well, how do you how do you get your, how do you how do you actually do that? And then you say, well, you get your hands above the ball. That helps because if your hands are above the ball, you can hit down on the ball. <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. But I, I just think that that. That was something that I tried to do, um, and of course, sometimes you you get frustrated and you say, "I, oh, you know, no, not like that, you bloody fool. <laughs> do it this way." <laughs> so I that, tried not to be like that. Yeah, that's uh, extraordinary advice, though, because there is one thing: there's no doubt when you're out in the middle, you don't have someone to be there to coach you. It's you on no. your own trying to work it out for yourself. And exactly. there are so many coaches that are there pushing their philosophies onto people. So then when they get out to the middle, like, oh, what did he say again? What am I trying to work on? Whereas if you work it out for yourself, then guess what? You can make the adjustments straight away because you know exactly why you do things, um, why you, what you're trying to do. Um, and that's incredible advice for any coach who's out there trying to help them get the best out of the players that they've got is let them work it out for themselves. And as you said, entice them into working it out for themselves because then in the end, they're out in the middle on their own. They don't have coaches around them when they're batting in the middle or bowling about to run in saying, oh, do this, do that. They've got to work it out for themselves and they are the best, they are the best coaches. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that, you know, really <laughs> that I never – I go along and I watch, not so much now, but watch other people coach and – they want to be super impressive because they are a coach. They want to be able to uh, talk technically about the minutest detail that really doesn't matter a damn. And, you know, I've found over a long period of time that probably the most important thing a coach can ever say 
to a batsman is watch the ball. You know, that's pretty mm-hmm. high-tech stuff. Watch the ball because, I mean, that's what you're trying to hit. In the first instance, that's what you're trying to hit and unless you're watching it like a hawk, you have got no chance of hitting the bloody thing, mm. especially if someone's bowling under a mile an hour, you know. I mean, and you just it doesn't matter what speed they're bowling, but if you're not, you've got a better chance of hitting the ball if you're watching it. And even, I mean, getting back to golf, when I put the ball on the tee or find it on the fairway or in the rough, I mean, I always hit it better if I say to myself, now watch the ball, Rod. And because I am trying to hit that ball, I promise you. Mm. And it just makes things a lot more simple if you actually do watch the ball. That's the best advice I can give any coach, I reckon. Absolutely, and keep it keep it simple. But as you said, I've said a few times, common sense. <laughs> you use mm. a common sense rule, but common <laughs> sense isn't that common. <laughs> yeah. God, jeepers. Now, this is going to go into um, other aspects of your life away from cricket, and I believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get educated on throughout our lives. But managing and investing our money that we make, as well as we possibly can, is integral to making the most of what we've got. And Rod, I know that you missed out on um, the professional um, era of playing um, of playing cricket, but from all your experiences throughout your life, um, what have you done um, things differently from an, an investment um, and wealth generation perspective? Well, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, we, we did play professional cricket. We just didn't get paid much for it, you know. Mm, yeah. So, uh, but then again, we got paid a lot more than those that went before us. Mm. So, uh, you know, as I say, it's all relative. And I'm delighted that, that um, you know, blokes that have come after us are getting more because that's the way it should be. That's the way the world works. Uh, and, look, from from my perspective, I, I never really thought uh, too heavily about um, investing money. I mean, I was just happy in the first instance uh, to be mortgage-free. I mean, that to me is, mm. is the first thing that you can – I mean, if, if you own your own house, um, you have got security. Mm. And to me, that was everything because, you know, it's three boys um, and, and you want the best for them. Obviously, you try and make things better for your kids than you had yourself, and but you must have security to do that. And I really didn't think too much further than that. You know, the odd investment came up here and there and you'd throw a bit of money at it and, uh, but the, the, I guess the thing that I've done and we've done, um, Ros and myself, uh, is to try and prepare for the stage of life we're at now, which meant that we we put as much money into our superannuation as we possibly could, uh, knowing full well that, um, you know, I worked up until I was into my 70th year, so it wasn't as if I was on the bones from the backside. Um, I was getting a salary, which uh, more than catered for the lifestyle that the two of us led. Uh, so we were fine. We'd throw everything else into superannuation. Uh, and now that I'm not working, um, you know, we've got a, a nice little monthly uh, check that I, I actually pay myself. I've got a real good boss now. I just <laughs> It's me. The best I, boss. 
Yourself. Oh, the best. Yeah. I, I can argue with him. I can, <laughs> I, I can call him his bad names. Can, and he still keeps playing me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, no. you know, that's yeah. so I haven't really delved into, you know, apart from a bit of real estate here and there. And, uh, you know, we, we, life is good. Life is good to us because we've got a terrific family and, uh, mm. and we don't, uh, you know, we'd, I'm not too concerned about having having uh, anything that's not comfortable. You know, mm. I mean, we 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 live well and uh, enjoy life. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's very wise advice as well. Is setting yourself up for the future as well. Um, and and again, common sense. Um, you know, to be able to get to a stage in your life where you become your own boss. <laughs> which is yeah, the ultimate. It is. And, mm. you know, look, there, there are certain things that, that come up and people are always trying to make money from you. You've got to remember mm. that. And, mm. uh, you know, and I guess we've been really quite conservative, um, even in our, you know, if you like, our superannuation. We've never mm. gone gung-ho and said, right, oh, we want you as our financial advisor to try and make us a million bucks this year. You know, we're very, very happy to make four or five percent a year, and you know, in this day and age, it's it's probably not a bad thing. It's not a bad policy. Conservatism is uh, uh, is probably a little bit wiser these days than we even thought it would have been. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, if mm. it's too good to be true, it normally is. So. <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> Yeah. One thing that I realised uh, through through my twenties that life is all about how well you bounce back from setbacks that life always throws at you. So, do you have a mantra or saying in your life that helps you back bounce quicker from the challenge that challenges that life always throws at you? Oh no, you know, I mean, my wife always says uh, you got to remember one thing: what goes around comes around, <laughs> and. Mm. That is true. Mm-hmm. So if someone's really done you a, a bad deed or someone has uh, said something about you that uh, there's no need to go off the handle, which I always do, but there's no need to go off the handle. You just sit back quietly uh, because what goes around comes around. They'll get their, they'll get their treatment yep. when it happens. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's why, it, you know, Fellow man, try and be as nice as you can most of the time. I mean, there are times when you can't be nice to people. Uh, but, you know, I like to think that, you know, if you treat people the way you'd like to be treated, then uh, you're never going to go, you're never going to be too far from the mark, really. It's amazing you said that because even that last saying that you said, treat people how you want to be treated yourself, that's something that my mum and dad instilled in me, was treat people how you want to be treated yourself because then it means that you're very conscious of the way you treat people so you're treated in the way that you want to be treated. Yeah. It's an amazing perspective. It's very true. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I think think laughing is is, is the, the best medicine you can you can ever find anywhere and uh i mean our our lives built on humor really because you just i guess you're looking for the next one liner to uh (laughs) to make you laugh really it's uh uh you have so much fun and i think sport does that i really do and that's 
you know, that's why, uh, I mean, the golf club is really important to me because it's probably replaced uh, the cricket dressing room. Mm. I mean, no matter how bad a day I'll have, and there's plenty of them on the <laughs> golf course, I can tell you. And I get that cranky on the golf course. I, but not no, cranky. I would imagine that. I just get cranky at myself for yeah. being such a fool, you know. <laughs> such a rod, you bloody idiot. I reckon I've heard that about a million times. Right, rod, you bloody idiot. <laughs> and that's what I am. I mean, there's no doubt about that on the golf course. Oh, yeah. I get that frustrated with myself. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the minute we walk inside, it is totally different. I mean, we... Uh, it's exactly like being in a cricket dressing room. Everyone's taken the mickey out of everyone else and having a real go and laughing, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, you know, we, we have a, a table at not so much now uh, right at this point in time with this coronavirus stuff, but we had a long table. Um, we used to push tables together and we finished up about 24 of us at this table and the noise that emanated from that table, I mean, they just, people, just, God, you blokes are noisy, but it's good because, you know, it makes the club tick and everyone's having a, a drink and, and, and laughing and people are happy. And, and that's, what, that's what a golf club should be like, not a, a place where you, you know, sit around sucking on a cup of coffee with a long face. You've got to laugh and tell jokes, have fun, and that's yeah. what we do. And that's what life's all about. That is yeah. for sure. I've just got two questions to go, Rod. So thank you so much for, for taking the time, mate. No worries. No worries. Um, you have met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Um, who has inspired you the most and, and why? Oh, dear, oh dear. You know, that, that is, that, that's a question I'm not sure I can answer. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, uh, Look, I honestly think that the people that have inspired me the most have been my teammates. I really do. I mean, I've, I've met royalty, I've, but I, they're not the sort of people to me that inspire me. I mean, they, I feel sorry for them having to do the job they're doing. They could be better off doing the job I'm doing, you know. I've met rock stars, but, oh, God, I'd hate to be a rock star. Uh, I mean, why would you want to be a rock star apart from the fact that, well, I heard you play it. I'm not a rock star. Oh, I heard you. I heard you. I heard you play at the club in uh, uh, the Cavern Club. In, in the Cavern Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liverpool. I, that's not a rock yeah, star. That's I, just that's just a oh, tiny no. little gig that I jumped up on stage. Oh, I, I thought you. I thought you were a rock. I thought you were a rock star that night. Thanks, mate. In fact, I celebrated with four or five pints of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, mate. Uh, no, that was that was an outstanding night. Um, mm. But, you know, that I don't know. You, you meet these people and you think, no, I wouldn't like to be them and I'm not sure whether they inspire me. Mm. But I think the people that inspired me were my teammates because, mm. you know, we're chasing the same dream and, you know, we had the, the will to uh, succeed and when we did start succeeding we, we became confident in each other's ability and, and we went down a road that uh, we travelled together and, and and at the end of it we had a lot of fun, you know, and, and that to me was, uh, that that's inspiring to me, people that, uh, uh, people that, I mean, I guess 
really become part of your family almost. They are. They, and, you know, the thing about that is that and, and they don't have to be your teammates either, I guess. I mean, some of the people I played against, I thought, well, you know, these are wonderful people. And you know damn well that, I mean, I sort of feel that I've taken enough time with the guys I've played against spent enough time with a lot of them that if ever I was anywhere in the world, that a cricket-playing country, uh, and I, I lost my wallet, I could always find a bed at their place, you know. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that, that to me is, you know, I mean, I think that's good. I think the fact that you, although you play hard as you can on the field, that uh, off the field you, you respect them highly and, and I guess these are the people that I've I've spent most time with and therefore they are the people that have most influenced my life. Rod, you are the reason why I love reading books now. I'm not sure if you realise this. If if it wasn't for you making everyone who went through the Cricket Academy do a book review um, on the book that was given to us, I wouldn't have found the love of reading and learning like I do now. The book that I read was a biography of Alan Davidson, one of Australia's best ever all-rounders. So I just wanted to let you know the impact that something that really was so simple it, that it had on my life. And now I just can't, now I can't stop reading. I'm not, I know you're not a massive reader yourself, but is, do you enjoy um, fiction books or, or nonfiction books sort of books around learning or do you just more read for the, for the enjoyment? Yeah, look, I'd read now for the enjoyment. Uh, I think, uh, you know, things like, Netflix and Prime Video and mm. Stan and all these Foxtel, everything's taken over. But, mm. And, you know, to find the time to read, uh, um, you know, I love reading golf books. I really do. Mm. Um, I got Bobby Willis's book you know, yesterday in the oh, yeah. mail. Uh, and I, look, I like reading, I still like reading cricket books. Uh, but, I mean, a good. Uh, a good crime book is always good as well. Mm. And I look, I do read. A, it's not that I don't read now. It's probably I don't read um, as much as I should uh, because, yeah, I, I do enjoy reading, but probably other things have uh, have not stopped me reading. I mean, you can always make the time to read if you want to. You just turn off the television, don't mm-hmm. you? That's a mm. simple, very simple way to read or, yeah, or the television breaks down, which I'm pretty good at fixing too, I might add. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, it's – there are some, you know, uh, terrific books around, there's no doubt about that. Mm. And uh, there are a lot of books written every year too. And, you know, I think we we don't realise just how many books are published every year and – there must be a lot of people out there reading and good on them. And mm. I'm not reading as much as I should. And I'm not sure if you really understand the impact that you had, um, you know, part of your program around getting everyone to read a book and do a book review because that had such a profound effect on, um, on my life. Um, as soon as I started that book, then I just, I just devoured as many books as I possibly could, especially at that time was around um, cricket books like Viv Richards and um, Ian Botham's and gosh, Warney's and everyone's like a lot of the time I've realized that there are some you know, big chunks missing. <laughs> I've realized in the future, yeah. but just to get an understanding about how you know, successful people and some of the greatest people, cricketers and people I aspired to be, um, you know, got the best out of themselves and the life that they lived. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
It is. It's. It, it is an interesting thing to do. Is to read about other people. I, mm. you know, and to get people's pers- perspective on on life more than anything else. Uh, but history is. I mean, I, I was brought up really as. Uh, um, I was quite good at history. Mm. Uh, I was quite interested in history because, you know, I guess what you are today is what is largely determined by what's gone before you. And, uh, you know, I reckon everyone should have a crack at writing a book, um, even if it never gets published. But uh, just for, from the point of view of, of, you know, having to sit down and actually think about what you've done in your life, uh, it's not a bad uh, thing. A lot of people may not have done much, but they'd be probably pretty surprised at what they've thought about the way things have happened in their lives if they were to put it down on paper. Rod, as we finish this amazing episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats, I just want to say how ridiculously grateful I am for everything that you've done for me since I was 19. I would never have been able to achieve anything that I did without you and your amazing program that you set up and also the faith and belief that you had on had in me as a cricketer. So this truly is the most special episode that I've done of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Without this legend of world cricket's influence on me, I would never be here today doing this interview. Rod, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of these incredible insights with me. And now everyone who listens to this will realize why this great of world cricket has had such a profound impact on just about every cricketer who's come through Australian cricket over the last 20 to 30 years. First for Rod as a player, and then as one of the world's greatest coaches. Thanks so much, mate. Oh, it's a pleasure, Shane. Uh, your your payment will be a putting lesson. If you can give me a putting lesson, I'm <laughs> oh, very happy. Jeez, oh, it needs to be the other way around. My putting is horrendous. My only, my only way I've tried to get my putting better is by a new putter, and that hasn't really made much difference either. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm trying one tomorrow. <laughs> Sounds good. No, Rod, I seriously am so grateful, mate, for not just, well, for doing this today and making the time so everyone gets to hear about your incredible insights, but everything that you've that you've done for me throughout my life, mate. I am yeah. pleasure, so mate. incredibly grateful, mate. Uh, not a problem. Not a problem, mate. Always a pleasure. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.